Look, all I know is that Don says happy birthday to Sally after he gives her the dog, and he gives her kind of a a snuggly kiss on her cheek and her neck, you know, a real fatherly thing. And I just keep thinking, Sally's going to remember how he smells when he does that for the rest of her life. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Congratulations. Welcome back. Thanks, everybody. When did this place get so friendly? Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. And I'm Dan Jasper. Marriage of Figaro. I am boldly asserting Dan is a masterpiece. That is bold. Wow. I say masterpiece. As bold as Rachel Menken's hat in the conference room <laughs> of Sterling Cooper. I love her so much as she struts in like some kind of actually peacock if you if you think about that she's walking in with all those men right with with chickens at her feet and uh, (laughs) literally and figuratively (laughs) and and feathers behind her head which is really what it's all about really amazing two weeks and you know clients come and go and she was sort of unannounced in in within the episode and we see her and it's another Another, I think it was more about her and Don flirting, I think, was the yeah. the information we got out of that scene uh, more than anything, uh, because we realized that they'd done all this background research on her competitors, but hadn't actually visited her store, which was a bit of a glaring omission that leads us to Don's visit later in the day. But let's back up. Let's actually talk about when this episode aired. Uh, this is the third episode of season one. Marriage of Figaro was aired originally on August 2nd, 2007. It was written by Tom Palmer and directed by Ed Bianchi. Uh, So a little break from the uh, Alan Taylor, Matt Weiner crew. uh, We are expanding the the team. Yeah, and no worse for wear, let us tell you. Mm. um, We believe it covers the dates of April 8th and 9th, 1960. I mean, this this is an episode that kind of bifurcates office scenes and office uh, drama with home and domestic and family drama. And there's ways that those are sort of completely separate. And there's ways I see themes and trends and, and things coming that, that, that span the, the, the two parts of the episode, home and office. It's done quite brilliantly. It's amazing. You know, I want to speak to my experience with this episode. So, you know, traveling back in time, it's 2007 and I am, I'm home and I'm watching this show again, as, as, as we've mentioned here, there's no, there's some reviews, there's critical review, but no, there's not a lot of buzz or, um, zeitgeist. And I am truly examining for myself is this a show that i want to invest in right like i'm not i'm not convinced yet i've now seen two episodes that are rather different from one another and i I don't know what this show is i watched this episode and and like you say there's there's two distinct portions so you've got um part one it starts with dawn on the train then it's dawn in the office it's a day in the office it's everyone in the office it's dawn going and leaving the office it's all in new york city and it's around dawn and then we get to the next morning dawn waking up and we're still dawn focused 
we're still looking at his kind of <laughs> hangover, if you will, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, of, of all the events of the day before. So he wakes up and he starts this day and, and there's there's the wife and there's the demands and there's the, the family life. And I keep waiting to get back to the office. Um, and I, I mean, I remember this. I remember that that the tension of that day at home, which mm. builds and builds, was yeah. excruciating. And all I wanted to do was have those scenes be over so I could get back to the office where it was more comfortable, <laughs> which is, yeah. which is, um, which is his experience as well. When it never happened, when I realized that the show was over and we never got back to where I believed the show was taking place, mm. that's when I knew this show was unlike anything I'd ever seen and something I only wanted more of. And then you go back and you realize this: the name of the episode is Marriage of Figaro. And you go, of course, it's a, it's a domestic title. <laughs> the, the, show, the show is named after a person, you know, it, it has reference to a personal life as opposed to uh, commercial or business life. Yes. It's not the office of Figaro. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Don's not married to his job in this episode. But no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, rather, it's a rather amazing uh in the way that you've mentioned before, Roberta, you know, it's, it's plot very thin. It, it's, there's not a lot going on. It's not this happened and this happened. It's a character study. It's, and we're still on the third episode of this extremely long journey of who these people are and so forth. So it, it's in that, you know, first couple steps of the journey, but um, man, how much they pack in without people sitting down and talking about what they're thinking. It's all about getting into Don's head or, or Betty's head or um, what all these relationships are, are about. So we start off, you know, in this kind of symmetrical role where Don's on the train, he has a full day at work and then some, <laughs> and then some business after work and then he's on the train again. And that's like a complete circle. He finishes that day on the train the way that we saw him and we don't see Don on the train. You know, we see him, you know, now and then, but, it's not like every day you're going to see him twice on the train. There's a reason they're coming back to the train at the end. And then the weekend starts and it's Sally's birthday and that part of the episode commences. So you're, you've got this entire, almost like an entire episode that's roughly 30 minutes framing what happens after. And it's, it's you know, from a, from a structural standpoint, it's amazing to watch. Toward the end, there's, there, it's not quite at the very end, but he's also back at the train again, right. <laughs> sitting in his car, looking, looking at the train. Well, the train in this, in this uh, episode, the train begins to take on a, a, a great um, meaning for Don, or it probably already does in his life. We, we'll come to see that. But um, what we see now is that the train is not a safe haven for Don. That very first scene, he's recognized by an army buddy, we presume, who calls him by a different name, Dick Whitman. What? We haven't heard Dick Whitman. We don't know a thing about Dick Whitman. We don't know why someone would be calling him Dick Whitman. Suddenly we have perhaps a little more insight into Betty saying, who are you? And into, into, into Don's sort of, we've already gotten you know, information that Don is closed lipped about his Moses, the past. baby in the basket. And, yeah. Right. And all of a sudden 
we're 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 clued into oh maybe there's a yeah thing. we know don's mysterious but this indicates it's not just some affect that he's portraying he's right. literally exactly right. mysterious um right down to his name so uh yeah so he's rattled by that you know look at that scene again he is looking over his shoulder three or four times during the conversation who's hearing this this guy come up and familiar, you know, with familiarity asking me, how's it going? I, I feel like when I very first saw that scene, I did have a moment or two of this guy must be mistaken, just like Don is playing it. Right. Um, but Don doesn't play it that way for long, although is Don just humoring this guy? But maybe that's the first impression you get. But I think by the time that scene is played out, yeah. you're pretty clear Larry knows that this is Dick yeah, Whitman. Yeah, it's, it's a legitimate, um, sp you know, spot spotting of someone. And I think yeah. this, by the second time Don looks over his shoulder, you realize that he's, uh, there's something to this Dick Whitman uh, recognition. Yeah. And that's going to be an issue. So this is definitely planting a seed for, for plots to come, plot points to come. Um, but... <laughs> if if we'll allow that um there's this mis mystery over don's name and and what what would have caused that think about how harrowing that experience is for don think about how someone who lives a life under the name don draper and gets spotted completely randomly uh in a place that you'd expect to be completely comfortable and anonymous right on 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 the commuter train i caught a line that i had not caught mm -hmm. Where he, where Don lies, uh, and you, and I'm gonna say this because you've got to be regionally hip to to know this. Uh, we know that Don lives in Ossining, and he says he lives upstate, right? Armonk, uh, Larry says he's he's in Armonk for, for for business, IBM, I believe. Yeah. And so yeah, so upstate is is not where Don. Yeah, lives. that's a real broad. <laughs> that's a real broad sort of definition. It's a liberal definition of upstate, if you want to use that. Yeah. Um, that's right. So yeah, and Don certainly doesn't want this guy to know where he lives. But um, I, what just struck me though is is just how that's good. That's like a punch in your gut and to your psyche when you have um, built your entire life around. And maybe this isn't the first time he's been recognized, or you know, had some kind of a public close call. But for us, it's the first time. And Don is legitimately spooked. Legitimately, he's spooked. shook. He yeah. is shocked. And, and when we see him in the office, not long after, you know, he immediately gets in. He's got this creative meeting with the writers and the art directors, and he's a total dick. He's yeah, brusque. He, he, bar he barks right, he barks right at right. them. And he's, he's, uh, he's on edge. And, you, and to me, that's just great writing continuity, right? This isn't, th th these two things didn't happen in separate worlds. You, you get off, you, you have this harrowing experience on the train, you get off. You come into the office and you're still rattled. It is complete, and it probably rattles him. I think you could say throughout the entirety of this episode, um, going back to him returning to the train station. I think that uh, that gives it such depth. Um, but it's more than just a chance meeting. It is more than an insignificant close call. It goes right to the core of who Don is, and I think that's important about this episode. It's it becomes a little hard to separate. So. You know, to your point, in terms of the plot, there almost isn't one. There's a day at the office that begins with that begins with this kind of close call, something or other that happens with this Dick Whitman sighting that we don't know what that means. 
Um, and then there's this day in the office and that leads to uh, Don up on the roof with Rachel Menken. And then the next day there's this birthday party at home where Don eventually disappears for several hours, uh, ab abandons everything. Yeah. And, goes right, so that's the, that's the plot. Um, it's a, not, as, much. As, not much going on there. It's not much of a plot. And yet it's so rich, but, but what I, so Rachel with what happens with Rachel on the roof and we'll, we'll get into that in a little more detail. The question is how much does, and I don't have an answer. How much does the Dick Whitman scare inform Don's being drawn to Rachel? And then which of those two things, um, informs his, uh, behavior, his attitude and behavior on at, at the birthday Here's party. Here's my take. A hundred percent for everything. That, that meeting is, is you can draw a direct line from everything Don says or does in this episode to that train ride. Without question. Yep. Well, yep. Name something that doesn't. <laughs> well, I'm not seeing anything that doesn't, that isn't. I, probably. Probably. The attraction to Rachel Menken, the attraction was there. Mm -hmm. The attraction was there or was going to be there. How much of that, how much of that romance, and, and it does appear to be romantic from what we're looking at, would have been there anyway. And again, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. Look, it's both very informed by it and not at all informed by right. it. It's like, yeah, well, when there's when no, Don, when Don uh, gets spotted on that train, it brings up every fear of in, an insecurity, every fear of being revealed, because obviously it's a close call that, that that's taking, that's taking place right then. Yeah. We've already talked about that. He's got this big case of imposter syndrome now. Right. Maybe that's that's literal. But what, but, but to, to me, when we talk about everything tying back to that, the minute, the moment that Rachel Mencken slides that cufflink back to him on the table, that is caring, that is intimacy, mommy. that is mommy, that is love and affection that he is obviously desperate for. So, yeah, I think it. I think everything that was churned up by that. Uh, by that uh, close call is absolutely, you know, it's all sort of like coming at him uh, in this episode with different things. So yeah, I think his interaction with Rachel, I think his interactions at home, his, his, uh, his flying the coop during the party, it's all this crisis that, uh, that's been brought upon him. Um, so yeah. I, I don't disagree. I'm not a dumbass romantic, but at the same time, you know, I just, it, it, listen, I've, I am smitten by Rachel Mencken, and so I, I am Don Draper in 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 his eyes with her. Like I can't imagine. <laughs> we see exactly what he him. sees. Right? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine him not being fully and completely drawn to her. Right. Um, regardless of and you're and you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. That's I mean that's what's that's what's so yeah. that is what that's what I'm saying. There's no. There's no right or wrong answer here. Really? It's all, all of this all happened all on the same day. It's all what makes Mad Men great. We know that. But we, we get there and, and I, you know, one of these historical notes that pops up. And again, I think they handled it wonderfully this time. Not as some sort of a Forrest Gumpy moment. Is that Volkswagen ad that they talk about. He opens up, he talks about it. And Don has that great line of, you know, think what you want. We've been talking about it for 10 minutes. So obviously it's effective. 
as to whether it's a good ad or a bad ad. But they all hate it, obviously, with one exception. Who doesn't hate the ad? Don. Pete Campbell. Oh, that's right. My <laughs> bad. Don, no, Don. Don. Uh, uh, Don. Don? Don is the one who says what we've been talking about. Yeah, he recognizes minutes. that, so Don, but he doesn't think Don, highly of he the He recognizes... Ad. He may not think highly of the ad, but he doesn't deny it's it's breaking through the noise. Yes, and you're right, Pete. It, it, Pete, once again, Pete is such a little weasel and such a. But he's uh, got the instincts. It's one of these things where it takes stepping outside of the show, and it's so easy to get on board with the rest of the group. I mean, me as a viewer. Right. To get on board and be like, oh, Pete, shut up. Why would you say that? But Pete has been, <laughs> Pete's the one who brought up, who, Pete's the one who, who believed what Dr. Uh, Greta. Yeah, the research. Gussman, yeah, I research. wanted to say Greta Thunberg. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, <laughs> Which is incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in research, you know, he was the one who was like, well, maybe there's something there. And, you know, just to go back to that for a moment, what she was talking about ended up being the Marlboro Man. 100%. Pete sees through all of it. You know, Don Don sees the cultural value, but he also dismisses that in general. So, you know, everyone has kind of a, a client's take on it. You can barely see the product. The copy's too small. You can't, it's not saying what you want it to, you know, all these standard uh, con uh, 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 conventional wisdom type of uh, responses. And, of course, Roger says, you know, if I'm a Jewish agency, I don't want to go around rearm rearming Germany or something to that effect. Um, so all these kind of inside baseball, very much groupthink, uh, but basically shitting on the ad. Pete's the only one that says, I think it's great. And of course, you know, historically, Pete's opinion uh, kind of carries the day. That ad is in museums now. So Rachel uh, then enters the picture and there's the meeting in the conference room, which again is great. More Bloody Marys at 10, or 10 in the morning, let's say. <laughs> um, so that leads us very quickly to Don visiting Rachel in the store. Uh, which to me is a fascinating, fascinating series of sequences. First of all, we learn more about Rachel in 30 seconds. Her dad, the store, the depression, what she thinks, what she likes to do, where she went as a kid, blah, blah, blah. We know more about her than we know from Don in two and a half episodes. She is open. She knows how to relate to people. She knows how to draw people in. Don knows none of that. Don doesn't say anything about himself. Any, any, any opportunity there is to relate or share something personal, he pushes back, he deflects it all cleverly and with charm and, you know, the whole gorgeous guy thing. But like, well, yes, yeah, she, she, she tells the thing about her childhood, right? My mother, I died, my mother died in childbirth and my sister and all of this. And he, that's an opportunity where he might share anything about himself. And instead he puts it on, he focuses back on her. He's very, he's so masterful at seeing, but he, and he's, he's just trained himself to not, he's, and again, we're starting to get it. And we've now started to get a window into why he might be doing that. Um, that, that there is legitimately something he's hiding, but he is so, he doesn't even, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to pause and translate it the way that she paused and translated uh, Shtetl into yeah. Village, right? <laughs> right? He doesn't have to pause and say, let me not talk about myself, let me talk about her. It is what it's he knows how, how to wired. do. He has rewired himself. Let's put it this way. He leans in to kiss her before she knows he's married. 
<laughs> that's how little he reveals. He doesn't say my kids this. He doesn't say my wife that. He doesn't. But what I will say, and as we kind of transition into the second half of the episode here, so many references, starting from the first part of the episode, to this kind of quasi-domestic bliss or domesticity or, um, you know, these lovely, how lovely it is to be married. you got Pete coming back from his honeymoon. A ribeye and butter. <laughs> a ribeye and butter <laughs> and ice cream for dessert. And there's going to be a hot meal waiting for me. <laughs> ice cream because he's seven. Right, exactly. And she doesn't ask what flavor because she knows. And um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, each, you know, each little part of it. And there's a few more that I'm missing here, but that's the one that stood out. And, oh, um, Harry and uh, has been married two years and they're talking about getting something on the side or not or blah 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 well harry i thought i thought harry had so harry crane uh played by rich summer i always thought that was an interesting thing that harry says about you know like how you deal with being married in this culture where all of these women are just being women around you is you appreciate their beauty and you flirt a little bit and you never cross over That's right. You enjoy and women I, in the limited that was, way that you can. Is in the limited way that you can, and thing. I always thought that was a healthy and uh, yeah. I, 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 from there, I, dem- I surmised that Harry had a really healthy, wonderful attitude about marriage, right. which may or may not hold up <laughs> through the course and, of. And you get the <laughs> sense, just to, to project a little further, that his parents probably had a very successful marriage because that's something that you model. That's something that you see. That's not something you can. You can eat. It's not, that's not something you can easily um, interpret from the world around you. You have to see that. You have to see a dad who who practices that. Yeah, you want to break it down further, though. Maybe you, what you're seeing is a dad who flirted with everybody in sight and came home to mom all the time. Perhaps. I mean, we yeah. don't we don't know. And then and then you decided as little Harry. I love that we're just <laughs> let's just extrapolate this one right out. Little Harry decided that dad wasn't a cheater. But little Harry didn't know if he was or wasn't, did he? All right. A little more <laughs> pessimistic than my view, but I will. I, mean, I am just, taking it on face value that, that Harry's observations are pure. I mean, if you if you look at, okay, so we we've talked about that. I think my mom is a slightly a few years younger than Betty Draper, right? Again, my mom's more like Rachel Menken. She was not a business owner, but she's we're Jewish and lived in Brooklyn with the other Jews and a bunch of Italians in their neighborhood. Um, uh, just looking at how uncommon divorce is. So, and so that's what clued, what hooked me into what you said and kind of, I'm going to say hooked me is the idea that, ju- that just because these people stayed married and, I, and these people now right. let's broaden exactly. that out exactly. means it was a successful marriage. My mom's parents were divorced uh, in the sixties, I think mm. at some point, yeah. like I always remember them as I had divorced grandparents. I had divorced parents and divorced grandparents mm. Those are some very unusual yeah. things, but particularly the divorced grandparents. Okay. So I just I just have these points of references, yeah, no, right? Harry, Harry's, um, Harry's home life will uh, will reemerge <laughs> down yeah. the road. Um, but yeah, so so there's all these uh, little uh, dusting of domesticity all around. It's all these little comments. That's right. um, uh, about it, if I were to go through, I could probably list another another half dozen just in that first half. So that's leading us to Don waking up Saturday morning and 
Sally rushing in and it's my birthday and now we're now we're at the Draper residence in Ossining for Sally's birthday party. So the first thing is <laughs> I mean, I would love to get woken up to the knowledge that there's a bacon and egg sandwich waiting downstairs. For that me. would be nice. I'll tell you what. I, I, that would, yeah, I'd like someone to model that behavior from that. That would not suck. But also it's an echo of, there's a lot of echoes in part two to part one. And that's an echo of the steak dinner waiting for me at home. <laughs> right. Um, that's good. So we know that the party is at two o'clock. And we know that Don has to build the P-L-A-Y-H-O-U-S-E <laughs> spells pony. Right. <laughs> um, and he, we see, we don't see all three beers. But there's the first beer, there's the beer that Sally gets him, and then later there's another beer. So we don't see the Sally there's, beer, but I'm gonna we say know that nine, there's nine three beers. beers. From, from start to finish, no <laughs> question. I mean, we definitely know that there's three. And then, the you know, the, so the drinking, there's Don's drinking, and there's all the drinking. Yeah. And it juleps. is, and, you know, Betty pouring yeah. the mint juleps where Betty is just pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and then takes the, uh, the homemade mm -hmm. seltzer maker and... Um, I remember those homemade seltzer makers and, um, you know, just gives it one little spritz for luck. Yeah. But, um, and then later that is referred to, right. Don turns to maybe Carlton and, and do so you want something harder? Like the, those mint juleps aren't hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what you've got is a, a, a pack of shit faced adults. The way every kid's party. I'm <laughs> um, sure was. I, I mean, I was really struck, but you know, those were not, again, my birthday parties were a little bit later. It was not 1960. It was 19, if I, my fifth or sixth birthday party is 1970, 1971. Mm -hmm. My mom was, um, a remarried mother of four, mm -hmm. three or four, depending on what, what year we're hitting. My birthday parties were children. Right. <laughs> like, and the food was for us. Uh, we also didn't, you know, that there's that cultural thing. And, and, and this, this, this continues today. I'm going to, I will say we didn't have that thing where there was two separate foods. I mean, if it was a kid's party, obviously the kid's favorites were included, yeah. but I, I never, I never, and again, this is, this can still happen today. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a dated thing, but this is not part of my experience where there was good food for right. adults and, yeah. And, Nowadays, and, parents and, are eating the pizza. I mean, that's really just what it is. Or, or kids are eating the the yeah. sushi. Right. Maybe not the five year olds, but you right. know what I'm saying. But I think there's that cultural thing there, and I think this is really the brilliance of the writing, and I think the attention to detail from from Matthew Weiner, which is six year old birthday party in 1960 is exactly like this. Exactly. You got the balloons on the on the mailbox out front. You've got the families coming over. You've got the playhouse ready in time for the kids to play in. And you have these two different worlds. You have the kids' world and the, and the parents' world, which, as we see, <laughs> there's a lot of crossover there. The kids talking like the parents in the playhouse. You, you would have parents, adult food, and kids' food. You absolutely would. I think that was 100% true to – it's an entertaining moment. It, it, it's time for Betty to entertain with a kid's party taking place. It's not just a kid's party and will you come over. It's that it's all about the appearances and Betty, Betty putting on a show yeah. 
as she's expected to. It really is all about impressing the adults yeah. with what the birthday party for the children look like, um, and but what the party for the adults is in terms of the content. I mean, there's no... I guess they were thinking of getting a clown and then didn't get the clown. So there's no other structured activities. The only thing planned is the cake, which doesn't Goes happen. Live. But also, here's the thing about this day, this party that I was struck by. The whole day was so ugly. It was, to me, it was a violent experience in in many uh, many kinds of violence. There was just the way that the... The, the way the men spoke to the women, the way the children were dismissed as an afterthought, the way the wives were, were I mean, were, were, were segregated. And, and they, you know, they were full participants in that segregation. Everybody knew their roles. The way that, the way that the women treated Helen Bishop uh, both to her face and not to her face, the way they treated her with disdain, the way that Helen Bishop, the way that Carlton hit on Helen Bishop <laughs> and she brilliantly handled him. My yeah. goodness, write that you one never down. Never felt thing. Yeah. <laughs> never. <laughs> he walked into my knife exactly. nine times. That's right. Um, um, the, the, I mean, not to mention the, the, the other dad who actually slaps the yeah. the kid and then, and then the kid is made to apologize yeah. for the behavior. And then the wife is expected to go clean up That's that right. mess. I mean, it's, it, it was, it was gruesome. Social and, and emotional painful. violence and physical violence. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really painful for me to be with. And again, going back to that tension and, and you know Don's Don is part of who I wanted to get away from but at the same time in this I mean his drunkenness was so um was visible and uh, you know but also but he was also observing it the way that I was observing it he was not participating in any of this violence He's detached. and and I'm going to use violence with a with with air quotes that's fair enough you know it, it's encompassing a lot of things that, again, that I sort of was experiencing. But Don, Don is, and then they give him the camera, right? So now Don is, oh God, it was gorgeously Beautiful, filmed. Right? You've got, you've got the Mozart and, and you're looking well, through even, this even before, I, Yeah, I want to get to the, the home movies part for sure. The, um, but, you know, there's that part somewhere in the midst of, of all the, of, of all that you're talking about where I think it's him and Carlton, something about having it all, where we have it all done. Yes. And Don is like disgusted. <laughs> he has the look on his face like, oh, well, I, this is this is not having at all. This is this is torture, which is kind of like how you and I think a lot of viewers see this this torturous part of the episode. Um, so Don's yeah, completely detached. He's completely absent from from this, and um, he takes these home movies, which is an interesting activity. First of all, you know he's all about images and creating imagery and he's a creative director so he, he ought to be at home in this medium and i think he is but at the same time you know as is kind of put really right in our faces when he sees his neighbors in an intimate moment of of being gentle with one another uh sees his neighbors kissing in an empty room um you know don knows nothing about these things it's more domesticity more of this you know 
incredibly almost painful, truly painful images of a life that almost doesn't exist. And I think that's what's so hard about it. It's the imagery, the image that we as a country have made for ourselves about that that moment and that time and what, what families are supposed to be about that never really existed even when it supposedly did. But he sees the, these neighbors kind of being intimate and you know, he knows nothing about that. These, these are two people being themselves with each other. And he couldn't be, he, he was in a similar moment the night before with a woman, not his wife. And he had no idea how to be himself in that moment. Yes, but pause. Um, the the way that that I know I can't remember. They're, they're, we don't have their names in the episode, but yeah, I they're introduced at some point. In my, in, they're they're in in the archives of my brain. They're they are the parents. Listen, there's there's this is the, these are the parents of the of the of the kid who has polio. Yeah. Don's may maybe not much of an aggressor in this entire set of scenes, but Don does say something shitty about the kid with polio, oh, right? Yeah. How he refers to him as Captain, no, Chief, Chief Tiny yeah. Tim. Yeah. Is that about um, who the film is? Like, who do you want me to film? Their... The other kids are just Chief, yeah, Chief Tiny Chief, Tim. Chief, Chief. Oh, God. Ugh, awful. Yeah. So, but, but, but in that, in that moment, those, the, that couple, uh, he takes her by the chin, I believe. It is, if you go back, again, this is another complete reflection from Act One. This is almost the same move, the same gestures, and basically the same kiss as Don and Rachel on the roof. And that is um, part of the art of this of this uh, episode that I will, I'm sorry, what is it? A masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's striking, and again, how much you know, being recognized on the train leads to his actions in the office, leads to his actions with Rachel, which in in a sense is another catalyst for how he his behavior at home, and and, and one thing just snowballs into another. Right. When what it, what is making him, you know, you go something you said and something you said when we we spoke about the pilot a few weeks ago is, you know, Don, <laughs> we see Don's flight reaction early, early right. and often. And the look, you know, you go back to that first scene on the train, the last look on Don's face after Larry, who has called him Dick Whitman, walks away, the, the, that last look uh is is he wants to run away like you, you, that it's it's, it's all right there you know we're seeing don boiling right i mean that's what we're watching we are seeing don compressed and boiling and again that was my experience of watching the show is it's 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 restraining and and boiling but but and so again he's informed by these these two major yeah. things because he's looking at that he's looking at that romantic moment and he's seeing how that's not what he has with Betty, but he's also seeing that is what he has with his new, at least for now, we don't know, <laughs> fantasy, fantasy girl, girl, love of his life. We have no idea, yeah. but that was the same kiss. So it's all, it's all so complicated. Right. But it, 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 everything calls back other things. And they, again, that's the brilliant, that's why it's a masterpiece is these things aren't by accident. These are very deliberately placed scenes, vantage points, images on the screen. I mean, it's it's so beautifully done, and 
again, not every show rewards you for looking at it this closely. And that's that's why we love it. Um, <laughs> so what happens? You know, I, go, there were, I, wanna go, I wanna go back a second. I just wanna do a little timestamp on that rooftop scene, which is, it is dark out. The last scene we see in the office is everybody, there's typewriters with their typewriter covers on them. Everybody's getting ready to go to a bar, except Pete who's going home to steak. That is five o'clock, right? I mean, yeah. advertising offices today, by the way, that doesn't happen at five o'clock mm -hmm. ever. But you know, that was five o'clock. And now we've got Don, and Don has already left. He left before that scene to go over to the department store. So we're getting a sense of the amount of time that Don sent, spent at that department store because it is black as night. Right. Up on we that don't roof. know what time Don left the office to go to the department store. But it was before five. It was before five. It, it could have been four. It was probably not. A, could know, have been four thirty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's there till dark. And um, that's already. He's there till dark, and it's in April, seven o'clock. Yeah, early. It's early April. I looked it up because I <laughs> That's what we do. had to. It's about six. It's about six thirty. Okay. Sundown is about six thirty, which means black of night. Yeah, seven seven is yeah. you know seven seven thirty eight, right? So, um, so I just wanted that was that was one thing, and 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 there was something else I in that scene when he says to her, "I'm married." Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we don't know, we don't know much about Don. We don't know. We know he has Midge. We don't know if there's anyone else. We don't, we don't know him yet. I mean, in the culture, in the world, I think, I think we now have some sense that Don Draper is a bit of a ladies man. But when we're watching it in that time, we didn't have, we didn't know nothing. And I, 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 I was really struck when he said, I'm married, like he really, Again, you said you brought up he didn't say it before he yeah. kissed her, but but he knew there was a weight to his being married as it related to this woman, to this potential relationship. It, I know that it's a twisted version of this, but it almost is respectful of the of at least of the person he's it's not the best version of respectful again could have could have happened before he kissed her but there's he's there's something where he is at least examining the significance where and then but sh she's the one though who actually who games it out that's right she's the one who actually looks at consequence he looked enough to say there this has some significance yeah. i don't really yeah. know what but i i know it's worth yeah. saying yeah. to this to this girl uh, as but but he but she games it out like so how do you think this plays out and she she takes it the way that the way that Helen Bishop yeah there's consequences game gamed out the That's women right. the really women good. understand but it's like he, basically he's saying look we're gonna kiss but I'm not gonna burden you with knowing that you're kissing a married man <clears throat> so right. I'm gonna spare well, you it, that information so we can enjoy our well it also makes for a much better kiss <laughs> right all the way around <laughs> right right yeah uh, but but he knows he's gonna tell her so he tells her. <clears throat> but he, 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 I, I, I like your the twist on it. Like he's, he's, he's respectful in that he's not going to burden that kiss with, with that knowledge for her. So that's the one thing. The second thing, which I think is interesting, is you know, there's that scene when Pete crosses Peggy's desk before he goes into Don's office, or mm -hmm. and Pete, <laughs> so good. you know, having, you know, this great, these great business and advertising instincts, but zero emotional intelligence at all. Uh, feels like he has to inform Peggy that he's off the market, which is like completely ridiculous. And Peggy says it's completely <laughs> ridiculous. But 
he, he has to be explicit. He's like, yeah, you think? <laughs> uh, I was there. So she, uh, but he, he has to be explicit about it for some odd reason. He has to, the words have to be said, you know, I'm off the market. And she, and she says it never happened. Here's two people who went all the way and, and are acknowledging it never happened based on the circumstances. Now you go back to Don and Rachel on the rooftop and it was a kiss. It was an illicit kiss for him especially. She plays it out. She extrapolates it the way you just said and decides, I'm having none of this. I'm going. So here's a here's sleeping together that meant nothing versus a kiss that meant everything. Right. And right, I right. love that if you want to look at it that way, you've got these. And I don't think Pete and Peggy are any kind of mirror image of Don and Rachel, but you've got Pete and Peggy who have this 90 second conversation. It's almost comical. Uh, about how what happened didn't happen, and then by the by the midway point of the show, you've got Don and Rachel who do you know something uh, much less consequential. Yet uh, to Rachel, the consequences are much greater. Their 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 life and death. So she has to remove herself from the situation just to survive it, and that to me is is a great great point of contrast. Uh, just within really about twenty minutes of, of dialogue. And, you know, and I mean, the contrast is validated because Peggy knew who she was sleeping with was a man who was about to get married, where Rachel did not know who she was kissing. So um, the opposite of Rachel gaming out that affair is that she, you know, she already gamed out the romance. That's true. And and, um, her level of self-respect was, wouldn't allow her to go along with it haphazardly. Yeah, I think there was a little also power dynamic there at the desk with sure. Pete and Peggy. Like he had to, well, first of all, you know, he really, I think I will, I'm going to give Pete credit for this in his own emotionally stunted way. Um, he, he came back saying he was a changed man and, and, and he seemed, you know, he, he talked about the moment in the, in the ceremony. I, I think, you know, I think in this moment of his life, he, he did believe yeah, that he believed absolutely. that he was he was he was now a faithful husband. He's not hitting in on anyone. Um, he has that. He ha- he has a, a frank conversation with Harry uh, about it, and even I love even the way he closes the the conversation with Peggy in a very sort of like ah I, I see the doors open. Let me let me let me go. Let me be on my way. Like it's a very pleasant, even though he's awkward and he has no emotional intelligence, as we said to <laughs> just keep his mouth shut sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think he was genuinely changed. He was a, for the time being, he was uh, he, he was in the in the bliss of that the new the new marriage, and that's that's a wonderful thing to see when you see it. Um, but I think the point I think the point of the episode is is that that's a not only is it oftentimes temporary, it's also just a snapshot of what's a, a much larger story to be told about marriage. There is this power dynamic. There is this Pete has to let Peggy know who's boss. Um, you know, he's 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 made this decision. And um, you know, there's a there's a touch of cruelty yeah, there oh my that, God. Um, <sighs> that he uh either is oblivious to well, he's certainly it's certainly in his unconscious, but I would say the fact that he enjoys that cruelty yeah. is in his unconscious yeah, as well. 99- People out of 100 would just let it go. 
<laughs> just let it let, yeah. and, and Pete's pizza or be or be yeah. nice just be like hey thanks for understanding impossible. we shouldn't have done it and you're impossible. very nice impossible yeah that, that's not our guy <laughs> yeah okay so now we're uh Don's out to get the cake for Sally's party <laughs> and uh he actually get, and he gets the cake the timestamp again is uh, we know the party started it. This all happened much more quickly than it felt from our perspective yeah. because they look at the clock at four o'clock and say he apparently he picked up the cake an hour ago. The party started at two. Yeah. So he's only been at that party for, for half an hour, 45 <laughs> right. minutes, you know, at exactly. most and before he goes and gets that cake. Nine at three beers and three old fashions in. Um, he goes out. Yeah, obviously Betty, you know, shoes him away when she sees him talking to Helen. And again, they're having a perfectly reasonable conversation. I think they're both, you know, had it with this <laughs> this crowd inside and out uh, between the two of them. But Betty shoes him away. Uh, he goes out. And by that point, whether it's the booze and Rachel and Larry on the train, he's he's burnt. He's completely burnt. I, I just also want to touch on um, the kids, you know, it's, it's, if you miss it the first time, it's, it's worth checking out again, what, what the children, the children are now all playing in the playhouse and everything out of their mouths is a mirror of yeah. the domestic hell that we've been, we've been watching all day. It's, it's clean that up. And I, I don't remember some yeah, of the lines, exactly. but it's a, it's a, uh, it's it's a it's a little miniature hellscape yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of, of domesticity. Um, in fact, one of the kids uh, went out to get a cake and never came back. I saw that. You invented the car. I like sleeping on the couch. I don't like your tone. Take your shoes off. crowd in there same crowd out here um so yeah so don's out now we see the cake on the passenger side and uh he does a drive-by over at the house he does not stop he keeps going and i love the, the, the i couldn't tell what kind of car it was i was looking to see what kind of car don drove but uh anyway he drive he keeps going and he just uh, he just sits by the train tracks, and who knows how late it is? It's whatever eight nine o'clock at night, I'm sure. Well, he obviously does more than that because somehow he manages to get a full grown dog from somewhere. So <laughs> right. he doesn't only go a to the stray. train tracks. That's we'll just what we'll we see. Stray, I guess. Um, maybe or maybe he went to a. Sh uh, I don't know if there were shelters or I, who. I have no. We don't know where this dog comes from. It's 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 one of the great mysteries. That's right. And, um, you know, this is a manipulative, manipulative thing to do to completely shit on your daughter's birthday party. Uh, leave your wife hanging with the neighbors. It's embarrassing for them. Sally's got the Sara Lee cake to blow the candles out to. Um, it's which, not something which of that course, you can just. Helen. <laughs> Helen saves, yeah, the Helen saves the day. Helen saves yeah. the day, which of course takes all the housewives and they now rally yeah. around Helen as their new hero. Probably not. It's, it's brutal. <laughs> brutal to watch. And um, 
And Sally's got this ridiculous sourly cake, to, to, but it's all they have, the sourly cake to blow the candles out to. And, you know, you don't just walk back in the door with a dog or anything else and get away with it. I'm sorry. That's just, that's, that's insane. So that's exactly what Don does. He has the dog, which means Sally, you know, who noticed he wasn't there, I'm sure, but is completely distracted by the dog and how, how happy she is with it. And he just gives Betty a look like you can eat shit. And and she says, I don't even know what to say, which is as much as she musters. <laughs> All that she can say is that she doesn't know what to say. Betty circa 1960, that is as strong a rebuke as you're going to get. And then we see her hands doing their thing. There's that weird visual of, of her coming yeah. out of the kitchen with the gloves on that, you know, the, the arm length rubber gloves. Yeah. That's just a very... I don't even know what it's reminiscent of. I, I couldn't, I didn't have a visual illusion for it, but it was, it was like, it looked really creepy. <laughs> well, it's certainly, it's certainly a domestic image. It's so yesteryear. They're not used anymore. Maybe we saw our parents using them, but it's, it's very, it's very out of fashion. When did we see uh, Betty having these issues with her hands in the ladies room episode? It was after seeing Helen Bishop, you know, do something on her own or not have her husband around. And these things that are emblematic of her divorce. Well, Don's, you know, gone AWOL for the day. She hears him pull up. She probably thinks he's going to come in and say, I want a divorce. Like, that's probably what's triggering that for her. I don't think so. I just think it's, um, I don't see her as being braced for something. I think she knows this is one more thing she's stuck with. This is one more thing she doesn't get to address. This is divorce. Divorce is not an option for Betty, even though even though Helen's existence um, might put it in her head. But if your husband's unexplained absence for an entire afternoon on the day of your daughter's birthday party yes. is happening, then you think he's with another woman. Oh, I don't think so. There's not there's not a whole lot. Of, she's not saying, oh, he's by the tracks again, or oh, he's got anxiety over mm. his. Uh, I never thought of that. Over over his split identity. (laughs) She doesn't know this. She has nothing to to think. She's I think she's absolutely thinking. And she spent the day with Helen Bishop, for God's sake. So I think the divorce is not I won't say forefront of her mind, but I think it's absolutely just under the surface. Let me let me correct that. So or amend that. I it's interesting. I don't know if I think she thinks he's with another woman because if she has any concept that Don cheats, I think she has that. I, I don't, I'm making this up, but I, I think that she has in her mind where those affairs would be, would be in the city with the office and never local. I, I, maybe I'm, you know, Maybe, again, I'm, I don't, maybe I, I'm overthinking. I just, I never thought that she thought. It, but it's not forefront. It's not, it's not, not I don't think she's thinking um, he was cheating on me today. I think she's thinking he's going to come in and announce he wants a divorce. Oh, I and maybe never, that's because it's another woman. Maybe it's because something else or I'm not good enough or whatever. But I think it's the divorce thing that's, I that's don't. under I, the surface. I think it's the, the I, I, I can agree that it's the divorce thing that's under the surface. But I don't think she thinks it's coming from him. I think she's dealing with this lout and and look what I'm tolerating in this marriage and maybe I should divorce him. I don't... Oh, I don't think she's there. I mean... No, I don't think she's... I think 
but I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mostly think she, if, if divorce is there, it's something like, oh God, I, you know, this is, is this the kind of person you divorce? But, but I don't, but I think mostly she's furious that this is the marriage she has. That, okay. that he's imposing this. I, I just see it as a callback to ladies' room, and I think with ladies' room, we could we could establish with some certainty that the presence of a divorced woman in the neighborhood was was a key contributor to that anxiety. It's a definite threat, you know. And, yeah. and now spending a day with that woman and other women, and they're all bad talking her. And of course, she was the woman who saved the day. Everything's topsy turvy. I think, yeah, I think it would be reasonable for her to go. This is not good. Mm. I'm about to get I'm about to get thrown out on my ass or something like that. That's so interesting. I don't think that. It's it's Ooh. an interesting. I don't think that. It's a way to look at it. It's a way to yeah. look at yeah. it. Yeah. No, you're not. Uh, there's. We don't know. We don't know. I hey, never. Can... I never thought about where Betty thought Don was. I never. You know. I never thought about how she could fill. She would be filling in those blanks. Yeah. Look. All I know is that Don says happy birthday to Sally after he gives her the dog and he gives her kind of a a snuggly kiss on her cheek and her neck, you know, a real fatherly thing. And I just keep thinking, Sally's going to remember how he smells when he does that for the rest of her life. He is this drunken guy, uh, you know, that mixture of... Um, Drunkenness you know, and affection. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Schlitz and desperation. Right, right. Um, <laughs> that uh, is all over Don. So, yeah, that, that to me was a very... There's a sensory... A sensory emotional thing going on there for for Sally that uh, absolutely will 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 play out. So there's also Polly, Polly dog, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> is a direct callback to that oh. roof where uh, where you've got Rachel Menken telling all about right. her childhood. Why a dog? Why, why a, dog? a dog? Carla, it was one of my. I actually wrote down the quote because it was one of my favorite moments. Of, of Maggie Siff's performance. Um, she talks about Carla and Leona, um, and, the, and she says, not the originals, but third generation. And what every generation of Menken dogs shall be named until the end of time. And when she says that, you can hear the little girl who, you know, who created that with her sister, who, who declared that in, in their sister. And then apparently it's in, it is literally in their legal their legal paperwork, their contracts. Right. Um, But, you know, Don, again, he's very affected by being spotted by Larry on the train as Dick Whitman, but he is quite affected by Rachel Menken on that roof. He just brought a totem of Rachel Menken into the house. That's right. That's That's right. And Betty, and Betty, like, uh, frankly, many wives to this day, Looks at that fucking dog like now who's going to be walking? Oh yeah, no, <laughs> right. That was that was part of the look on Betty's face. No question. I have I I just gained another third child. Yeah. That's right. Um, again, you do not see that level of that level of uh, detail in many shows. I mean, what we just described with the dog and with Betty and with the callbacks. I mean, none of that goes on. So Mad Men just another. A masterpiece upon a masterpiece. So it's, it's it, it keeps delivering. And we're just at the beginning. It's amazing. We are just at the beginning. Uh, and we will be uh, coming back next time to talk about New Amsterdam, which is, I mean, you know, there's not, there's not a bad episode in the entire history. There are some that are less fantastic 
by a little, <laughs> but there aren't, uh, there's no duds. There's no, no you can skip this one. I love New Amsterdam. That's one of my all-time favorites. That's the one that got me, that was my my trampoline moment into the show, was, yeah. was New Amsterdam. Quite brilliant. So let's take a quick break. On the other side, we will talk about our favorite quotes from the episode. Uh, and we'll be right back. Hey, we're back. All right. Let's talk about favorite quote. Uh, I'll start here because I'm pretty sure chronologically mine comes first. So Roger Sterling tells the guys in Don's office in the first part of the episode early on when they're having their creative meeting. I'll tell you what brilliance in advertising is. 99 cents. Somebody thought of that. So that's Roger. <laughs> that's Roger's inspirational uh, speech to the troops. But, but no, this is part of that. This is part of that VW discussion. And what I love about it is so much of what Mad Men does so well is take you back in time from the point of 1960 or whatever year we're in and brings you forward. And this is a perfect example of that because, you know, 99 cents even then was something that was probably an old fashioned idea, right? Just just under a dollar, they'll, they'll, they'll go but for it's it. But still, we're still, it's still relevant. It's still happening, right? So we can identify it now as, as 21st century viewers, but you're hearing this guy who's obviously an old timer in the business and they're talking about a contemporary ad, which is VW, and it literally ushers in a whole new age of, of their business. And... For the most part, they don't even recognize it when it's happening. So you've got these guys kind of shitting on the ad. And he's saying, guys, the fundamentals is what matters. The fun, you know, 99, someone had, these are the things that make our business go. 99 cents. That has a reason to exist. That's going to, that's going to move product, boys. And like I say, they're, they're, they're completely kicking dirt in the, in the face of, of this new revolutionary ad that's in, in front of them. And yet he's not wrong. Right, they're they're <laughs> they're completely missing the point of the brilliance of the ad, but the timelessness of ninety nine cents mm. is obviously enduring. We haven't we haven't there hasn't been a, a month in the history of advertising since the day it was introduced that ninety nine cents has not been employed uh, on the American public. So we're in this amazing kind of time warp with Roger, where he's saying something both wrong and obvious and true all at the same time. And I love that quote. There were a few moments in the episode too, just um, that, that, that go back to the, that the status of, of these people who are in advertising, um, mm. particularly at the party where it's like, Oh, I saw this really clever commercial. Did you work on that one? Listen, I, you know, I have worked in advertising for decades. Um, it's not so glamorous anymore. And it's not revered in the same way. I mean, this is 1960. So, the age of television was upon us. So seeing, so adver like it seemed like, you know, the 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 reverence for people in adver there was a little bit of magic. That's why these were the the, mm. the Mad Men, right? Like like like, you know, right now it's back to where it's considered basically another corporate job with longer hours and a little create a little creative spin. But uh, you really saw that and, and how they hold themselves. Like they are obsessed with advertising. Did yeah. you see it? Didn't you see it? Of course, uh, you know, it's like you, there wouldn't be an ad they didn't see. And, okay. you know, while, while people, uh, people in, in the industry today certainly keep their eye on 
our competitors, they are not looking at every single ad, ad that exists all the yeah, time. Well, free channel. You know, you had, you had right. much less to keep an eye on. So it was a lot easier. So, and yeah, Life Magazine. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So to me, that, that, that quote uh, says a lot about Roger, who's saying it. It says a lot about the industry they're in. And it says a lot about uh, his disdain for the contemporary state of the industry, which is, to me, hard to do in a single line, but he does it. Roberta, so what was your quote? Yeah, following the uh, the meeting in the office where Rachel and her feathered hat um, have sort of outed the team as having not ever been to the store, Don says, uh, it wasn't a lie. It was ineptitude with insufficient cover. Um, I thought that was charming. I thought that was funny. And Rachel did too. And Rachel did too. But um, <laughs> it's also, you know, one of the, again, one of the themes of, of this season is secrets and lies. Um, the, the, the show, right. The episode opens <laughs> with, thing, with yeah. the whole thing. And what you've got is um, Don, not just the greatest ad man, but the greatest excuse man and the greatest, the smoothest <laughs> talker about, well, it wasn't really a lie. And even if he's saying it yeah. tongue in cheek, man, he's, right. he's, uh, he's, yeah, he he's, could, he could hit, he, a, hit it out of the sand trap pretty well. Yeah. He's got some facility with, with, with lies. So I thought that was uh, a winner. It's great. And you know, one of the brilliant things about this show, and this, this quote's a great example of it, is, she, is her reaction to it. Yes. He says that line and she talks about, oh, that's like, like it's already like they're flirting in the, in the meeting a little bit. He has to dig himself out of, dig them, the team out of that hole, which he does. Uh, and then he throws that line on her and, and this leads into his visit. So there, there's like, you know, there's verbal foreplay. Here. Oh yeah. This there's is, a, this is part there. of it. And she's, she's all in. Um, so again, does not know he's married, does not know it's a deal breaker. So this is all. You know, this is all getting the juices flowing, as it were. Yeah. All right, Dan. Good stuff. Excellent. Good stuff. Join us next time when we will be talking about New Amsterdam. Everybody, thanks. Have a great one. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. If you like what you're hearing, please review us on iTunes or Apple or whatever that is these days. Um, that is the way that other people will find out about us. Thank you for our music, Adam Michael Tilford. We'll see you next time.